Sir Leonard Wood once visited the king of France, and the king was so pleased with him that he was invited for dinner the next day. Sir Leonard went to the palace, and the king, meeting him in one of the halls, said, Why, Sir Leonard, I did not expect to see you. How is it that you are here? Did not your majesty invite me to dine with you? said the astonished guest. Yes, replied the king, but you did not answer my invitation. Then it was that Sir Leonard Wood uttered one of the choicest sentences of his life. He replied, a king's invitation is never to be answered, but to be obeyed. I want to pick up right where Pete left off last week. So we're going to start in verse 15. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away. And coming back to you, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 15. Obviously, Jesus speaking here. A few years back, I did a study in Proverbs. And I found myself astonished by a two-letter word, if. And again, here I am, astonished. 
by a two-letter word, if. The word in the Greek is ehan. And it means in case, in case that, provided, or when, or whether. This word implies a contingency. For example, my degree of obedience to God's word is contingent upon my degree of love for the one who authored the word. Webster's Dictionary, whenever whenever I look up a word, I go to Webster's. I don't go to Wikipedia. I don't think the term gender neutral appears in Webster's Dictionary. I may be wrong, but... The, the modern vernacular is um, fairly sickening sometimes. But Webster says that, it me- that if means in the event that. So you could, you could put that in there. Jesus could say, in the event that you love me, keep my commandments. Allowing that you love me, keep my commandments. On the assumption that you love me, Keep my commandments. On the condition that you love me, keep my commandments. The word if is a conjunction. It's a word used to connect clauses or sentences. Here's your, here's your grammar lesson for today. I've got teenage girls in school, so I get all kinds of grammar lessons. I get math lessons, too. I don't do too good with trigonometry. (whistles) Sorry, sweetheart, I cannot help. It's a conjunction and it's used to connect clauses or sentences or to coordinate words in the same clause. It is used to connect two or more events together at the same point in time or space. In this case here in verse 15, the two things are love and obedience. And quite honestly, we could spend the rest of our lives on this two-letter word, if. It appears in the New King James Version 1,455 times. I'm just going to read... 373 of them. Richard, you just got that joke. (laughs) Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, and yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, and if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't, then you won't. 
If you do, then you will. It's sort of a concept you take for granted. And then you read the Word of God. And a lot of times that you skim right over it. I skim right over it and, and don't even pick up on it. And then you dig into a section of Scripture and it's like, holy mackerel. There it is. You could take that word, that two-letter word, and keep digging. And keep digging. It's the Word of God. It's, it's alive. It's, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's speaking to you. It's speaking to me. And you can never get to the bottom of it. That two-letter word. We could teach the rest of the year from that two-letter word and go through the entire counsel of God. Somehow. Because it's the Word of God. You can never, ever get to the bottom of it. And you ain't never wrong. Whatever God shows you in His Word is what He's showing you in His Word. It's an amazing thing. God first used the Word with Cain. Genesis 4, 7. If you do well, you will, not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. This two-letter word is the hinge upon which everything swings. If I love God, I will obey God. If I do not love God, I will not obey God. It's simple math. My degree of obedience is a direct reflection of my, the degree of my love for God. If there is sin in my life, then there is a diminished degree of love for God in my life, period. Very often... I do simple things. I do stupid things. I say so many things half the time, I wish that I would never even said them, but there they go, and you can't get them back. It's a diminished love for God. But when I draw close to him, when I, when I get right up to him, and I'm just in his word, and I'm talking to him, and I'm praying to him, and I'm listening to him, and I'm leading my family in the ways of the Lord, and I'm, I'm praying with my wife and I'm washing her with the water and I'm training my children in the ways of the Lord and we're rejoicing in the Lord when, when, I'm, when I'm walking with God and, and my love is strong. <laughs> I'm not sinning. I'm not... I think about what's going to come out of my mouth and I, I, I trap it. I don't let it out. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth.
And if there is sin in my life, and if my love is diminished, then I need to repent. Um, And it's usually when I go to the Word, and I'm hearing from the Lord, that He reveals to me, hey, hey boy, better wake up. That thing, that person, them thoughts, those actions, what you're looking at, what you're hearing, what you're saying, what you're doing, where you're going, it ain't right. So I need to repent. Revelation 2, 4 through 5, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So I've got to constantly return back to my first love. Tell you something, brothers. I remember when I got saved in '96, November, November 20th, 1996, and I remember, remember going home, and I had a Bible. I still have it, actually. It's at work. It's on my desk, and it's a, a King James Bible that my grandmother gave me. It got my name stamped in gold, just like that. I had that thing for years. It was like brand new. When I got saved, and it was years old because I hadn't cracked it, I hadn't used it, I hadn't read it, I hadn't written in it, I hadn't, I had to dust it off. But I remember sitting down, I'm sitting down on my bed and reading Matthew for the first time being born again, and I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was, I couldn't get enough, I couldn't stop, I couldn't put it down. It was like, like I had been out in the desert and I was starving to death for water. I was so dry and thirsty, and I just couldn't quit drinking. And, and that's what it was like for me. It was, it was awesome. I'll never forget what that was like. Hearing God for the first time as a 26-year-old guy. who was used to just being strung out and homeless. It's a no-brainer. Those that love him, obey him, and serve him. Them that don't, don't. All right. So that's the first word. Next word is love. Agapow. I thought for sure that that was going to be agape. But it's not. It's agapow in the Greek. And I was like, I called my wife over. I was like, hey, agapow? She's like, yes, what? It occurs, you know, so many hundreds of times in the New Testament. I was like, Okay, so maybe I forgot. I've been reading the Bible for since 96, 21 years. Did I forget this one? I'm here to tell you, either I didn't know about it or I forgot about it. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody? Come on. Everybody? You guys all knew Agapow? I knew Agape. Agape, right? God's unconditional love. 
but agapow. Well, it's kind of the same thing. It's the verb. It's to love. It's the verb, the action. Agape is the noun. Agape and agapow are used in the New Testament to describe the attitude of God toward his son, the human race, and such as believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, to convey his will to his children concerning their attitude, their attitude toward one another and toward all men, and to express the essential nature of God. It's what we call Christian love. Right? It's not phileo, brotherly love, like I like love Richard Webb, like, like he's my bro, right? It's not that. It's not eros, erotic love that I have for my wife in terms of uh, sexual context. It's not that. It is... Pure God's, purely God's love, untainted by human, by man, by sin. It's God's love. And it's Christian love. It's, I remember going back to when I, when I got saved, I remember, because I didn't hang out with a lot of black guys or Mexican guys, because I was a white guy. Still am a white guy. Can you tell? There's one. But then I, so I get saved. I come here and I start meeting all these friends. And the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm like friends with all these Mexicans. And they're like, they're like in my wedding and stuff. And we're watching these old wedding videos. And it, it just dawned on me that like, wow, I'm, it didn't matter what color they were. It was, it was, God's love just went past that. And the, the love and the friendship and the relationships that I was developing with, with people, it, it had nothing to do with race or color or anything. It was just, it was koinonia. It was, it was agape. It was God's untainted Christian love. I mean, we, we had a band. Hoban was on the drums, all right, so Philippines. Moses was on bass black i was on guitar white and the only thing we didn't have was a chinaman (laughs) but we were looking but we thought about calling ourselves the united nations it was awesome and then i got me a wife from guatemala Mm mm-hmm About this tall. I ain't kidding, man. Four foot ten. <laughs> I said, four foot ten. You, you're not even five? Not even five feet? Nope, four foot ten. But she is, oh my goodness. When I met her, I had never, ever known a woman like that, ever. In my life, not even my mother or my grandmother. And I, it was then that I decided, I've got to have you. And I told her so, and she said, What? 
18 years, like uh, on the 19th, Monday, day after Father's Day, eight, 18 years. And our kids are a little bit younger, so the, the math works. <laughs> are, you, are you recording? <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're recording. Christian love, whether exercised toward men generally, is not an impulse from feelings, and it does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men and especially toward them that are of the household of faith. Especially. In respect to agapao, as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being towards entirely unworthy objects. That's us. We are unworthy objects. Producing and fostering a reverential love in them, us, toward the giver. And a practical love toward those who are partakers of the same and a desire to help others Seek the giver. So do I have a Christian, do I have the Christian love towards Jesus? Do I have agape love toward the Savior? Because that's what he's asking the disciples. If you agapow me, if you love me, obey me. If so, it will be evident by my obedience to his word. Now the word here, so let me just say this. It may appear that we're not moving along here, but we're going to get some legs here in just a few minutes. Don't you hate that? Like It's like 45 minutes in, you're like, man, the guy's only on verse 2, and he's got like 74 more verses to go, man. And I'm like... I've been working all day, it's 8 o'clock, and I'm hungry, and I'm tired. Don't worry, we'll knock this out. Don't you feel better now? So the word keep there means to adhere, which implies a fortress, or it's, it's a military term of holding the line. It means obey. Do I obey when it says, pray without ceasing in 1 Corinthians 5.17? There are times when I should be praying that I'm not praying. And when when Paul says, pray without ceasing, he's not talking about necessarily getting on your hands and knees and closing your eyes and folding your hands 24 hours a day. I mean, I'm driving down the road and I'm, I'm just communicating with the Lord. You know, what am I listening to? What kind of music am I listening to? You know, you know lately I've been just listening to the old, kind of the old hymns. I, I, I just, I don't know, something about them I just love. Am I obeying when it says, in all things give thanks, Ephesians 5.20? Do I give thanks for everything? No. I gripe. 
about a lot of things, especially at work. I can't believe. Can you? Holy man, you know, what's going on? I can't be doing that. But I got to be in the Word. I got to constantly be reminded about that, like each day, so I can go into that day with my mind set. Because I'll go into tomorrow and I'll get distracted with emails and phone calls and problems. People don't call me and just say, hey, Daryl, I'm just calling you to let you know everything's okay. No, it's every time the phone rings, it's like, I, I can't, I hate the phone when it rings. I like, ugh, it's stress, right? Uh, what now? You know, oh, we just got robbed. Or, you know, the drains are all backed up. Or <laughs> Am I obeying when it says, bring my thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Ooh, ooh, there's a good one. Driving down the road, beautiful woman walking down the street. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Just keep going, boy. Don't look back and think about something else. Or do I slow down and adjust my mirror? Yes, I do sometimes. And you know what? While I'm doing it, the Lord's like, what are you doing? I'm just doing myself damage. Am I obeying when it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, Ephesians 4.29. <laughs> wow. Let no corrupt word, you know what, I just better just shut up. Yeah, I don't, I don't cuss, I don't use four-letter words. You don't have to. And so we could go on and on down the list from, from Genesis to Revelation. Am I obeying his word? When it says, when it says, when it says, when it says. Because I, I forget every day. I've got I to gotta get reminded. And his commandments there in verse 1 are his rules, his laws, his statutes, his precepts, his expectations. Genesis to Revelation excuse me, is filled with God's commandments. Jesus summarized all of Scripture into two laws, Matthew 22, verses 34 down to 40. He says, But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, is, uh, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So I'm, I'm glad that that's in there because Jesus, I, I, I need things simplified. I'm constantly 
asking people in my life, whether it's co-workers or associates or family members, can, uh, excuse me, can you just summarize it for me? Can we, it was, no, it was, it was a yes or no question. So I'm, I'm, I, I get into this, don't, don't bog me down with chit-chat. Pete Aguano, is he here tonight? He's not. He, he tells me, he, he texted me once upon a time, you know, a few times, and I would reply like yes or no, you know, to like. So I sorted through all of it, and I determined that was a yes or no question. And so I replied, and finally he got to one point, he says, you are a man of many words. <laughs> Man, that's, that's one dude I love right there. That guy's something special. There is evidence of love for God in the lives of those who genuinely love Him. It's interesting to me that true Christians don't need to tell me that they are Christians. Have you, have you found this to be true? Johnny Bustos doesn't go around going, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You just look at Johnny Bustos. You, you mind if I pick on you right now, Johnny? You just look at him, stand next to him, listen to him, talk to him. <laughs> and, and I know a Christian when I see one. I'm thinking, man, that guy's a Christian. The world, they think we're peculiar. Like, whoa, that guy's weird, right? They know there's something different. right? The Bible says that you, we are a peculiar people. But we are a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. But it's also interesting to me that very often when a person tells me that they are a Christian, there's evidence to suggest otherwise. I remember we were having a like, Simple Truths conference here in the sanctuary one day, and I remember pulling into the parking lot, and there was a guy that I knew from the construction field, and I see him walking through the parking lot, and he's got a Bible. And he's, he's walking up to the church, and I said, Hey, man, what's up? He goes, oh, I'm coming to, the, coming to the thing. I said, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I, I didn't know you were a Christian. Because I'm thinking, man, I know this guy. And I'm shocked that he's carrying a Bible and coming to church and telling me he's a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Got my Bible right here. It got my name on it. Jesus is saying, if you love me, prove it. And that's fair. If someone tells me they know how to do something or can do something, okay, let's see. Verse 16, Jesus begins to speak to his disciples about the Holy Spirit. Now, side note, Jesus doesn't need to make promises. Jesus doesn't say, you know what, guys? I promise, I promise this, and I promise that, and I promise that. You notice he just says stuff. I don't, I don't make many promises either. I just, I just say stuff. The Bible said, let your yes be a yes, let your no be a no. Yeah, I'll be there at 8 o'clock on the 15th. Better be there. No, you don't need to call me and remind me. I'm going to put it in my calendar right now. I'll be there. 
And so you, you, you develop this reputation of, of being trusted. Yeah, the guy said he'd be there. He'll be there. That guy will be there. If Jesus simply says something, that's a promise. He speaks nothing but truth. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says that it is impossible for God to lie. If God could lie, he couldn't be God. Because lying is unrighteousness. And that would be against the nature of God. Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father for you. Think about that. You know, you know who I like to have pray for me? My kids. Because them prayers are real. Uh, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, help daddy's, help daddy's car start today. There's, there ain't nothing fake in that. It's pure and real. Romans 8.34 he who, con- uh, who is he who condemns? Is it, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, uh, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes intercessions for us. Holy mackerel. Wait a minute. Let me, let me get my mind around this. So, so Jesus, the Savior, God Almighty, is at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying to the Father for me. Father... Help him. Father, bless him. Father, protect him. If you think about that long enough, it'll bring you right to your knees. So I'm not going to. I'm going to move right through it. But I remember sitting at my desk, meditating on that fact. That the creator of the universe is praying to the Father who created the universe, for me. Gee, I wonder if that prayer is going to get answered. Incredible. Jesus tells, uh, tells us that the Father will most definitely accommodate his request of sending another helper. Of the Father, he will Not he might, he will. The Father will accommodate the Son's request. Every time. When Jesus is praying, heaven and earth are moving. You've got to believe that. You and I can actually affect the universe with our prayers. Now I know that on the surface that may sound like some kind of a weird new age idea. Let's affect the universe. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And yet, daily, daily, I fail to tap into that. I just... like a pile of gold sitting over there that you just ignore kind of i am convinced 
that we barely, if at all, tap into the powers that God has made available to us. It's good to be in the Word and to be daily reminded of these kinds of things because we are so easily distracted. Now, he's going to send a helper in the Greek. The word is the parakalidos, and it means intercessor, counselor, advocate, comforter. Romans 8, 14 through 16, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what that means. We cry out to him like he was our daddy, like we are his kids. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Just like my marriage certificate is legal proof that Lily and I are married, so too the Holy Spirit is proof that God has adopted me into his kingdom and, and made me a joint heir with Jesus. Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Wait a minute. So... So the entire universe belongs to Jesus. It's all his. He's the judge of everything, and I am a joint heir with him? Yep. <laughs> Sweet. Mind-blowing, man. My mind was blown making this study. And it's all stuff that I, that I, I remembered, that I knew. That I forgot that I got distracted from and I just got reminded again. This, this study's for me, guys. This is God speaking to me. Now, Jesus here is also introducing us to the third person of the Trinity and tells us who the helper is. Spirit of truth in verse 17 is the Holy Spirit. In the old King James, the Holy Ghost. The third facet of Elohim, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The tri-compound unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When God said, let us create man in our own image. He was talking to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Try to imagine life without the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? Like, oh, okay. I wonder what it would be like on planet Earth without the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? That's scary. No presence of God in my life. No conviction of sin. No illumination of His Word. Very likely, no love. It was absolutely imperative for Jesus to return to the Father. If he had not ascended, the Holy Spirit could not have come. Chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I depart, he, I will send him to you. Jesus is a man who took on human flesh. It was impossible for him to be everywhere at the same time. Jesus couldn't be standing on the Mount of Olives and help someone in Los Angeles. Physically impossible. He took on human flesh. The kids in the, in the children's ministry said, Jesus is in my heart. 
Well, yeah, I know what you mean, but do you mean Jesus the man, he's in your heart? Or do you mean the Spirit of God is in your heart? Um, so you, they have to think about it, right? You get them thinking about it. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He is able to be everywhere on earth simultaneously. Remember we saw that Jesus prays to the Father for us? Guess who else is praying for us? The Holy Spirit. Also praying for us. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Oh, wow. I copied that verse twice. The Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So so what you're saying, Daryl, is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne, praying to the Father for me. Yep. And, and the Holy Spirit is operating on planet Earth. And He's, he's, he's affecting the lives of, of everyone on planet Earth at the same time. And He's also praying to the Father for me? Yep. No wonder Paul said we're more than conquerors. <laughs> Who can be against us? You can cut my head off right now. I don't care. I'm his. Then Jesus throws out the term forever. Right, what verse are we on? Verse 2? Or 16? 17? No. We're still on 16, brother. <laughs> He's going to abide with me forever. Well, we know that we ain't going to be living on planet Earth forever. So that means when we step into eternity, he's coming right along with us because he's already there. See, that's the thing about God. He dwells and operates inside and outside of time and space. Imagine that. Oh, that can't be. I can't believe that. That's, that's ridiculous. Really? I had a family member tell me that, that yeah, I, be, I believe... I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that. But that thing about parting the Red Sea, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I went, I remember looking over at my grandmother. She was flabbergasted. <laughs> I think she stood up and smacked him in the head. Yeah, he can create the heavens and the earth, but no way can he part the Red Sea. That's just way too hard. <sighs> and I got some of them genes running through my veins, man. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, forever. Uh, in the Greek, it means continual, age, eternal, without end. When I, uh, when I share with the kids, I tell them, when, when, when you get to heaven and you've been in heaven for a million, jillion, trillion, gazillion, jillion, trillion, billion, gazillion, trillion, trillion years, that's just the first day because you just got there. Because the second day in heaven is just... And so I go on down the road and they're just like, 
So what, it like never ends? That's right, it never ends. Same thing goes for the lake of fire. You end up in the lake of fire, they run, they run concurrent. Some of them kids, you just got to scare into the kingdom. We know our bodies are temporal and our souls are eternal. God is able to operate inside and outside of time and space. We said that. We, we are experiencing eternal life right here and now. We, we are not waiting for eternal life. We have it. I have it now. The moment I accepted Christ as my Savior, He imparted eternal life to me. Because eternal life is not talking about a, a time span or a length. It's talking about a quality of life. 1 John 5.13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So if someone tells you that, that you can't know, take them to 1 John 5.13, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me tell you something, brothers. I know for a fact that I've got eternal life. And if you don't, something's wrong because you need to know. I had one guy tell me, man, I think I'm possessed. I think I get these weird spirits. I bark, what? Are you a Christian? Well, yeah. Well, then you ain't possessed. Well, what, what do you mean, man? The spirit of this or that? I go, greater is he than, it, than, than, than who is in the world. Light and darkness cannot dwell or occupy the same space at the same time. Christians cannot be possessed. Impossible. Now, can a Christian turn his back on God and walk away and get possessed? You bet. You bet. Verse 17, the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. They don't see him, they don't know him. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But the natural man does not receive the things of of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. It made no sense to me before 1996 that some guy hanging on a tree 2,000 years ago somehow gets me into heaven. That didn't, like, okay, that's weird. It didn't, didn't click. It didn't make sense. It makes perfect sense now. Verse 18, Jesus reassures his disciples and us that he will not abandon us. We will not be left alone. If we are careful not to abandon our own children, how much more God? Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit here as being the one who will be with us and in us in verse 17. But remember, Jesus himself is coming back for us in 14.3. And once we are reunited reunited with Jesus face to face, we will never be separated from him ever again. You realize that? What what does Xavier say? Man, if Jesus Christ is in hell, that's where I want to be. And I reckon that's true if you think about it. When he comes back and receives us to himself, we will never be apart from him ever again. He He is our reward. He is the prize. Jesus said, go ahead and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Verse 19, Jesus tells the boys here that he's about to be leaving this earth. And 
the disciples are likely still baffled. They probably still don't quite get it. I don't reckon I would have fully got it either. I have the benefit of hindsight because I have the full counsel here. Peter watched Jesus ascend into heaven and disappear right before his eyes. And then Peter laid eyes on Jesus again the moment he took his last breath on earth while he was hanging upside down on a cross, according to to tradition. He says, I'm going away, you ain't going to see me. And And then all of a sudden you're going to see me again. Peter now knows what Jesus was talking about. And because he lives, we will live also. Jesus was the firstborn from the dead. Now Christ is risen from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, and he has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die... He shall live. Verse 20, that day is the day that we step into heaven. We will have our new glorified body. We will have full knowledge. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know as I am known. You ever think about like uh, like when you get to heaven, like some of these characters in the Bible, like hey, we're gonna I'm gonna meet him, I'm gonna meet her, and they're just like regular people, and and I'm gonna meet them, I'm gonna get to know them. I think about that sometimes. Verse 21, Jesus repeats verse 15 in a slightly different way. He reverses the phrase: "The Father is good." with us if the son is good with us jesus vouches for us father he's mine johnny's mine mike's mine don he's mine Uh, take care of him please it's one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus if we love jesus that is good enough for the father If we love Jesus, he will reveal himself to us. His love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his meekness, his wisdom, his power, everything. He's going to give us all of himself if we love him. Verse 22, the disciples are still confused. Put yourself in their shoes. Something I'm noticing here, Jesus doesn't rebuke the guys like, wake up, guys. He doesn't do that. He's not like us. He simply repeats himself from a slightly different angle. I believe he's wanting them to discover the truth and the answers for themselves based on the evidence. Jesus is training these men. We do the same thing with our children. We present the evidence and hope that they can draw their own correct conclusions. Learning is much more effective that way. And it's much more long-lasting. When I've had to search out, when I've had to seek out the solution on my own, it, it, I own it. it. I make it mine. In fact, I do my best learning on my best mistakes. You ever connect a car battery backwards? Not good. Trust me. 
You ever make your house payment, but forget to account for the deduction on the balance sheet. Not good. Trust me. Start getting them emails from the bank. What, is it, uh, what do they call it? Um, overdraft protection. What? I hate that. And, and they ream you too, man. Yeah, we took the money right out of your savings account. We put it in there to cover, and, and we're charging you 35 bucks. You're welcome. <laughs> you mean you, you use my own money to cover my own self, and you're charging me for it? Yes, sir. Right here in the agreement. Oh, the one I got was at a, was a $25, we're getting off track, $25 fee for depositing cash. Yes, what's this fee here? Oh, yeah, did you deposit some cash? Yeah, I put some money in there. Well, we, we had to handle that. You mean you're, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm at the bulletproof glass and I'm scratching my head. I'm like, can, can I speak to your manager? Oh, yeah, yeah, so they bring the manager out, and I'm like, so, so, so what's the deal here? So I, I, like, I brought real money to the bank, and you're, char- you're like, I couldn't believe it. Well, yes, sir, you know, I said, <clears throat> reverse that fee. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do it this time, Mr. Hitterbrands. Just don't be bringing us any money. Yeah. Anybody else have that? No. So verses 23 to 24, Jesus kindly repeats himself now for the third time. Do you think Jesus is trying to make a point here? If you love me, obey me. The father will love you. If you don't love me, you won't obey me. Everything Jesus says here is directly from the father. Verses 14, uh, chapter 14, verse nine. Jesus is the exact image of the father. What are you talking about, guys? You want to see the father. You're killing me here. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Haven't I been with you long enough? Haven't you seen the dead raised? The blind can see? Jesus is letting these guys know that these are some of his final words to them in verse 25. Now, verse 26, Jesus reveals a wonderful truth here. The Holy Spirit will bring back to memory everything that we've learned. If we have not input the information, it cannot be recalled. Have you ever been hanging out or sharing with someone and the Spirit gives you an idea or brings Scripture back to your memory? That's, that's what happens here. The Holy Spirit digs in your memory bank and goes, lay this one on them. Verse 27, we believers are to have the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We are not to live in fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what, oh, I love that. I have a sound mind. I know how to approach any situation i I am not lost out in this world i know how to behave because god has given me a sound mind that has not always been the case like i said kill me now no problem 
death has lost its sting. Because my very next breath will be in the presence of the Lord. My life insurance is paid up. We need to rejoice for those who have gone to be with the Lord. I look forward to reuniting with my loved ones. I look forward to meeting David and Paul. I look forward to meeting J.L. Who remembers J.L.? She drove a tent stake through the head of Sisera because he was a wicked man, and she came in and she took care of business. Hmm. That was good, man. I remember reading that back in the, in the 90s, man. My first time going through Kings and Samuel and the Old Testament with Xavier, I was like, oh, man, David, man, with his sling. And, oh, man, that's like, that's got to be, you know, kills Goliath, climbs up on his carcass, grabs his sword and takes his head off and holds it up. I was like, I'm into that. <laughs> Verse 29, the disciples will remember many things after Jesus departs. I tell the 5th and 6th graders, um, if all the Christians you know disappear one day, that means you've been faking it and you've been left behind. The only hope for you and for your soul at that point is to commit to the Lord and don't take the mark of the beast and have your head cut off. Now, is that true? Pretty much. Usually after you give that message, like 12 or 13 of them come up afterwards. I want to pray. Well, didn't we pray last week? Yeah, but I just want to make sure. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I love that, that class, man. That's, I've been, been involved there for a lot of years, man. I've seen many kids come to the Lord. Verse 30, the, rulers, uh, the ruler of this world is coming, Satan. Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve in Luke 20, 22, 3. Uh, now Judas had to exercise his free will to follow Jesus, and he also had to exercise free will to walk away. The devil did not make Judas betray God. He'd done that on his own. You know, people talk about the enemy, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. Be careful of the enemy, man. The enemy's after us. And that, that's true. I believe that's true. The Bible teaches that, but... A lot of times I think people are talking about like the devil, like the devil is on me. I'm on me. James says that you are drawn away by your own flesh most of the time. The devil doesn't even need to mess with me. That, minute, that guy is so lousy, he's going he's gonna to take him own, his own self out of the fight. I venture to say... I ain't never tangled with the devil himself. I'm fool enough. I'm here to tell you that I am saved. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I responded to an invitation freely. Nobody forced me, and I know that I can freely walk away from my career, from my children, from my marriage. I can walk away from God. Nobody is forcing me to stick to any of it. I freely choose to remain. Anyone thinks he uh, thinks that he is anyone who thinks he is not able to walk away is deceived, wrong, and stupid. If you think that you are eternally saved, once saved, always saved. That's dangerous. That's like God forced me to be saved. 
baloney. It doesn't even make sense. Verse 31, Jesus obeyed every single word, thought, and deed of the Father, and he did it as a human. Think about that. He did not one single wrong thing. Not one. You think there wasn't pretty women back then? Sheesh. They were probably prettier. Closer to Adam. Not one single sin. Can you imagine some guy hitting you in the face with their fist and not saying nothing and not sinning and not saying nothing? Or how about someone pounding a nail through your arm and praying to the Lord for him because he doesn't know what he's doing? Holy mackerel, man. You get too close to me, we're, we're fighting. And I'm not a good fighter, so it's going to be dirty. He utilized prayer and fasting in the word and fellowship in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 4. <clears throat> you best think about that. That means that you and I have the ability to live above sin. But boy, man, that is painful stuff. Right? Money, women, sex, stuff, guns, guitars, whatever, whatever whatever your thing is. Crucifixion of the flesh ain't for the faint of heart. In the North Pacific lies this little island of Iwo Jima. Its dry surface of volcanic ash has been likened to the landscape of the moon. And for this tiny but vital piece of land, we paid the price of some 21,000 casualties in our war with Japan. For the men who took it, it was never a question of a feeling of adequacy or inadequacy, courage or the lack of it. They took it in obedience to a command. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for your word that instructs us in wisdom and knowledge. How you have not left us alone. You've given us your expectations. You've comforted us and you fill us with your spirit. Help us serve you with our days here on this earth. And we sure look forward to stepping into eternity to be with you face to face forevermore. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.